Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast, where two generations of owls, Michael the dad, me, and Hank the son, discuss the latest in movies, plays, books, video games, and more. Welcome to the Owls on Culture podcast. I am your co-host, Michael Owl, and I'm here with... Hank Owl. Hank, it's been a long time since we've done this, except for that it really hasn't. It had been a long time since we've released a podcast, but... As soon as last night, we actually recorded a podcast. What happened with that recording? Um, someone, I'm not going to say who, <laughs> may have forgotten to push record. You know, I think I figured out what happened because I just did it then. Like, I tried to push it, and the record button is a little bit recessed. And I've never had any problem, like, pushing it. But maybe now in my old age, I'm actually struggling to even push the button. Because I, I don't know if you noticed, but I just pushed it. And then I went and pushed it again because it wasn't red. So I think that's exactly what happened. Maybe the button is just getting a little bit harder to push. Yes, maybe that. There's this handy red light that comes on here. And there's a handy red numbers that add up to our recording time here. And one would think I would have noticed that neither one of those was on last night, but I did not. (laughs) So we're recording this again. And this is a new format for us. Um taking however many months off we did, we've decided to, to switch things up a little bit. Hank, will you tell them about it? All right, so we're getting rid of the what's new in your world and shortening the usual, you know, large segment where we talk about one movie or event. And we're placing two smaller segments where we can really talk about whatever we want throughout the two weeks and the still larger segment, but less large as it was before yeah again so, just talking about something we did in the two weeks make it less about what we happen to be talking about for that specific podcast and more about what we just did exactly and now we're going to be you know making sure that we go do and see and interesting things so we'll have uh something fun to talk about but i think this will put us on a regular schedule and uh i'm looking forward to it yeah so with that being said what are we talking about today um, well, later we'll be talking about the new movie Knives Out. That's right. But for right now, we're going to talk about Doctor Who. That's right. The new trailer came out for the new season. came out this past week, and we both have seen it a couple of times. What did you think? I thought it was... That really got me excited for Series 12. Tell me why. Well, I'm a big sucker for nostalgia and there was a lot of references to older russell t davies stuff like we got a Ragnos and a jadoon although i'm not sure i think they are around before russell t davies the jadoon though i think the first time i saw the jadoon in the modern series was the first episode of season three oh, with yeah, martha that, jones i think that was that was it okay so that was with martha jones still Russell T. Davies, or is that uh, no, Stephen Moffat? Russell T. Davies. I think the Dune might have been an old Who. Too. Okay, I got I'm, not, I'm not sure that may be completely wrong. Yeah, we're we're Whovians, but we are definitely not. Uh, we're not going to win any trivia battles with the with the real folks that know out there. Yeah. Uh, all right. So nostalgia. Some old enemies are coming back. That looks pretty cool. What uh, What else? Uh, well, we got this really really cool shot of this old rustic looking cyberman and the doctor saying that it's following her and i really hope that's not like a final episode thing and that's a 
series arc that goes throughout the whole thing. Yeah, me too. That's uh, those are the 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 individual episodes and the the series that I've loved the best. The season long series are ones where there's a great you know strong um, element of individual episodes, but also this overarching arc with with the Doctor that the, that is teased at and hinted at, and then even like shown all season. And I kind of love that. And that's what I hope, too. That it's, I hope that like this ominous threat keeps building and then pays off in the final episode. But I hope there's like other little moments along the season. And the Cybermen looked really, really cool. Another exciting thing about the Cybermen is usually in Doctor Who, when the Cybermen show up, it's a two-part episode. And we love us some two-part episodes. Oh, yes. They're the best. So was it good to see the familiar faces of the Doctor and the Companions? Um, I mean, yeah. It was good to see Graham and the Doctor, not so much the other two people, because I think we've talked uh, before about how we dislike the choice to do, like, three companions, because it means we get to know the Doctor less, so we have to focus more on these smaller people. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I don't know this Doctor as well as I as I have some other Doctors after one season of them being uh, in the show. And I think that's because of the the choice to have three companions, and I think the writing. You know, we've talked about the writing before. We didn't really, we didn't love last season at all, and we're we're, we're hoping this one's better. But the writing, but I think that's a big impediment is to try to, uh, you know, share the you know stage time with, you know, four main characters for you know all intents and purposes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. that's perfect. Uh, what um, anything else in the trailer that caught your eye? Um, well, I think I know the kind of plot or villains for at least one episode because the Rachnos thing, who talked a little bit or made spider-like noises. <laughs> yeah, there's also the scorpion arachnid type robot that was chasing them. Yeah, so that's, that's that, probably like a a spider drone or whatever. Yeah, I, I, that looked pretty cool too. The the effects were nice on that. Doctor Who and the classic Who was notorious for really really horrible and cheap special effects. Oh, uh, looking back on it, and um, of course, then at the time, you know, they were making they were the best they can with very little money, so it was probably pretty good then. But I, I think even then, people kind of made fun of it a little bit. Uh, what were you gonna say? Another like really cool shot was the classic Cyberman phasing in. Yeah, through the TARDIS. No, no, is that thing, different one? Okay, that was cool too. But I was talking about the one where like it was like five of them on like a flat surface, kind of doing the old phase in. Okay, yes, I remember that now. Uh, I was, yeah, I, I thought you were talking about they were in the TARDIS. She says, you know, nothing can get in the TARDIS, and then of course something looks like it's getting in the TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um. Yeah, of the of the companions, I thought you know each one had a couple of little moments in the trailer, and I was I was glad to see them. But it, instead of being involved in the characters emotionally, I was still like, oh yeah, we got three companions. This is going to be hard. Yeah. So hopefully it'll be good. There's some conflicting data on when it'll actually coming out. If there's a Christmas episode or not. If there's a New Year's Eve episode. There's been a couple of press releases this past week, even I think that kind of contradict each other. So. The Facebook groups that I'm a member of that are Doctor Who are quite confused. <laughs> That's where I get a lot of my information. All right, so our next topic is going to be 
Disney Plus. But Disney Plus taking over the world. But one Pacific specific thing. I said Pacific thing. Like <laughs> idiot. Specific. We haven't had our coffee this morning. No, we haven't. I woke up 15 minutes ago. <laughs> um, more specific thing is The Mandalorian. But first of all, I just want to say... If you have any doubts about getting Disney Plus, you should definitely do it. Especially if a younger child, you can show them all the Disney classics. Yeah, this uh, is if you were like three. I mean, obviously we did it fairly quickly, anyways. But if you were three, we would have you know pre-ordered it and had it wrapped up because there's so many great Disney movies and Pixar movies. It's kind of perfect for uh, you know sharing the love and the joy with the with the kid. Um, and there's new stuff too. Yeah, you know what else? What else is out there there's, before um, we get to our topic? High School Musical series. I don't think my eyes are gonna be laid on that, but maybe I, I've misunderstood the what that is. Somebody told me it was, you know, they have the cast of the original High School Musical, this movie that did really well. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. and they were gonna go back and do it, but then it also looks like that uh, Kristen Bell was going to other places, getting together high school casts that did musicals in high school, and then getting back together and doing it as adults. So is it a movie? Is it a series? What, a what series. is it? It's, um, so which one of those is right, or is both, or neither? I'm not sure. The one I know is high school, musical, the musical, the series. And that's where... Um, is that the one with Kristen Bell that we're talking about now, or is this a different thing? Um, Are there two different things? I'm not sure. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure. I have no idea. <laughs> All right. All right, we'll try to get some research done on this. But that's where she goes back to this. Um, my cat drama teacher goes back <laughs> to the original school where High School Musical was shot and puts on a production of High School Musical there. Okay. All right, so that's that's definitely part of what I heard, and I just I don't know what. Okay, there's a couple of things. Well, the show's called. There's called Encore. It's an original program on Disney Plus streaming service. Executive producer Kristen Bell reunites former castmates of a High School Musical, and challenges them to recreate the original performance in just five days. Okay, that's not it. So that that this is on this may be different than what we were talking about, but that sounds interesting. And I, of course being a you know theater major in college my first taste of theater was my senior year in high school and i just can't even imagine the joy and the pain and the fun it would be like to put together that high school musical our senior year like do it now oh it would be absolutely absurd and fun and kind of wonderful uh, in fact i'm giggling and grinning inside just thinking about it Okay, back to the major topic of the Mandalorian, which is kind of the. So thing then, when to I was in high school, Disney, I did. No, I'm just kidding. Which is <laughs> the Mandalorian, which is kind of the thing to watch on Disney Plus right now. It's definitely the thing they're putting front and center. Yeah, that's what most people are excited about, and we've we've started it. And it was amazing. There's three episodes. We've watched all three. Oh, and spoiler warning, two. Just if you have. Yeah, we're going to be doing some spoilers in this. So if you haven't seen it, I mean, my guess is the big big reveal that happened at the um, beginning, at the end of the first episode has been fairly widely distributed. For you. But not, I mean, I don't think everybody would have, would have gotten it, but probably all of our listeners would have. Um, so, yeah, talk about it. Um, 
Oh, first of all, I thought it was amazing. The cinematography is just beautiful. It's shot. Each episode is shot like a movie. Yeah, it looks great. It puts you in that Star Wars mood immediately. It's got those, um, I forget, you told me what they're called, like those slide cuts. What are those called? Oh, yeah, like swipes. Swipes. That old kind of George Lucas editing technique, and that was good. And those, that can get old, but like I, it was a nice homage that they used that. This is written and directed by John Favreau, you know, which is cool. I didn't, I, you know, I haven't been really keeping up. I didn't realize that he got this thing, but, you know, his career is pretty amazing. And he does a really nice job of storytelling without over-explaining. Uh, yeah, I thought the opening scene in the first episode where we see the Mandalorian on a bounty hunt and him capture his person and the minimalist dialogue and the, the you know, beautiful... Um, the vistas of that planet were great and then seeing the land speeders oh yeah you want to talk about nostalgia like that the land speeder to me of the first you know star wars movie you know episode four new hope it was that land speeder that first really got me i was like oh my gosh this is the coolest thing i've ever seen i want one right now <laughs> and so it was so awesome to see those land speeders early on in that first episode it really made me happy and feel like okay we're in this universe it looks amazing. He doesn't like droids for some reason. And uh, the third episode, droid really helped him out there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it just it set the tone pretty nicely. And of course, there was a, a monster, but it wasn't like a. It was a good monster. Like it, it was like well designed. It was mean. It was going to eat them. I don't know. It just it set the tone pretty Everything nicely. Everything you really want in a monster. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, so it was cool, and I just liked I liked seeing Carl Weathers be the kind of person handing out the the bounty assignments. I thought he was great. I thought Werner Herzog is the evil guy in the episode was pretty great. I loved seeing the stormtroopers and their armor. You know, as as ridiculous as their armor sometimes is, and <laughs> as horrible shots as the stormtroopers sometimes are, I, it was ominous. Uh, it it was be, very cool. Makes me question what they actually are because the empire has fallen. Are they like neo empires? That's right. Or exactly like what's going on with with the empire? Are they are they mercenaries working? You know what's what's going on? Are they trying to like recreate the empire? Are they like scared that Yoda's gonna come back and take them down with this? Are they the beginnings of what becomes what's the uh, what's the evil like the Force One or whatever Red or something in the the Kylo Ren one? <laughs> yeah, in the like five, six, and seven are they is that, are they the beginnings of that or you know who knows? That's kind of when it takes place that we think, right? Yeah, that was after Episode Seven and before Episode Eight or ab- between six and seven. Yeah, but it must be pretty recent after the fall of the Empire, though, since people are still using or giving out Empire credits. Yeah, and again, so that's another example of just really minimalistic but clever dialogue. It doesn't say, well, as you know, the Empire fell 20 years ago, so I can't, you know, they were just like, you know, I don't want to use these, but they're still good. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it, they, they did it, they respected the audience. Yes. Which is, which is nice. Um, so let's just talk about the big reveal. The one we don't, don't know if we've mentioned it. Baby Yoda is, or baby, not Yoda. That's is right. The cutest thing in history. <laughs> and I feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> Me too. For episode eight, when the poor, we see the poor, I was like, oh, dad, just cash in your merchandising money. And you I'm were like, very anti porg. Please, please give me a tiny little baby Yoda. That's all I want in the world. 
That's so true. And I, you know, I didn't, you know, I think, you know, Return of the Jedi was, you know, not, certainly not my favorite Star Wars movie in a large part because the Ewoks were so cute. And that's what I said to Hank before we watched. I was like, I hope this isn't Ewoky. And then it's not. The whole tone is, the whole tone, (laughs) that's funny. The whole tone is, is not that at all. It's not cute. It's dark. It's serious. I mean, there's going to be humor in it, but like, it's, it's not Ewoky at all. But then at the end of the first episode, they show this baby Yoda. And in the second and third episodes, this baby Yoda is, I know it's not Yoda, is the cutest thing on the planet, on any planet, in the verse, baby. Uh, It's just amazingly cute. So, yeah, I feel like a hypocrite, too. Another cute thing were the Jawas in episode two. I mean, well, cute when you first saw them. And then when they, at the end of that episode, when they're eating out that baby thing. Oh, the egg. Yeah, they were. That's it. It was a delicacy. Clearly, they were all over it. Uh-huh. Very ritualistic. Yeah, the Jawas are Jawas are especially cute in the first one, A New Hope, because you don't really know about them. But they're you know there's these little little thieves, and they're still cute. But then again, speaking to the tone of this show, you know, the Mandalorian has this incredible, powerful gun, really long. It's got two little you know things at the end of it, but it can disintegrate things. And most of the time, when you see the blasters. You know, it's like a a really bad bullet wound. Like, there's just a wound in a specific spot where the blaster hit. But this gun, he was disintegrating Jawas left and right. Uh, and that like, took me back a little bit. It wasn't just Jawas, because in the third episode, he's using it on, like, full human-sized people. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So that gun is pretty kind of pretty amazing, actually. Oh. Um, and I liked the fact... That when they sent him on, oh, first of all, this mentioned uh, Nick Nolte playing that small kind of little cowboyish person that helps him. The one who has the line, he goes, you know, I have spoken, spoken. which is just, uh, I love that choice in the writing, like to give him that kind of catchphrase slash cultural thing, whatever kind of species he is. That's clearly something in, you know, what they do. Um, they speak. I thought that was really cool. And have spoke. <laughs> and then there's no more debate after they say that whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to use that. I'll use that with you. <laughs> I have Dad, spoken. I don't want to. I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> I have spoken. Uh, so, yeah. In the third episode, let's talk about that because that kind of transitions things into another. You know, we would say, like, that's another act break, basically, is towards the end of that end of that episode. Tell us about that one. Um, well, first of all, that ending, well, we get to know a good bit more about the Mandalorians and kind of their culture. Like, I forget what they exactly say, but like, this is the way they can't take off their helmets. Yeah, that's a whole very interesting either, either species wide or it's a, a religion or a cult or it's just really, you know, part of their culture. You know, they don't take off their helmets. There is a code. That's there. Like the guild. And there's the guild, which I don't think is just Mandalorians. No. Uh, but that's also another you know, big part of the code that the Mandalorians follow. And the guild is like the unionized, I guess, you know, the international union of bounty hunters is what the <laughs> you know, basically what the guild is. And um, But all of that's pretty fascinating. And again, they're teasing this out very nicely. And the role that the metal plays in their culture it's pretty fascinating. Do you remember what the metal's called? I don't. Pretty sure it's Valerian Steel. Yeah, it's the uh, Star Wars version of the Game of Thrones Valerian Steel. Uh, but it's, it acts as, so they make currency out of it, and then you can melt it down, 
and form it into really indestructible armor. I mean, maybe not indestructible, but like at least like blaster, you know, shots, you know, bounce off of it. And it's kind of what they're known for. And again, they set that up in the very, in the, you know, the, what would be the prologue of the first episode when he's on his first bounty and we're first meeting him. One of the Somebody makes the a comment about like, it. Yeah, is that, that Valerian that, Steel? Is that Valerian Steel? <laughs> I'm going to rub it with my knife. Yeah, so like we all, you immediately, they show the importance of that, which is which is pretty cool. So I'm really interested in explaining or having explained to me more of that, more of the old culture. And it was really cool to see multiple Mandalorians fighting together. Uh, and we got to see a jetpack. Oh, yeah, the jet, which like, now looks like crazy overpowered because we were playing the Battlefront games. You just go fuse and then you <laughs> come back down. Those people were flying like Iron Man. Yeah, we're not as good uh, jetpack flyers in, in in the video game as they are in the in the show. Oh, got to work on our skills. Hey, they look like they could like go across the world. That's right. Yawning on a podcast. That's good. That's good radio. It is. It's very <laughs> exciting. So now you know anybody listening to this is yawning right now too because yawns are contagious. Oh wow, that's awesome. I, uh, yeah, I'm pretty thrilled with the series. I, I like the fact that it's released weekly. Oh yeah, and that's... not bingeable. I know they probably did that so that people don't use the free trial to watch all the episodes. But regardless of why, it gives us time to kind of decompress. And with all these shows like the Arrowverse. And Rick and Morty and this now it's like something to look forward to every week. Yeah, it's really it's really really nice. So we're we are we're fans. We recommend Disney Plus. It was I was worried about it technology wise because our TV's you know not the newest, but we use PlayStation Four. Was able to download it and it went very smoothly and easily. And uh, I'm excited. I also want to watch that Jeff Goldblum show. Oh, that Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, and tell us all about it. Yeah. So. That's our take on The Mandalorian so far. All right, what else are we talking about today? Our main topic is the new movie, Knives Out. Knives mm-hmm. Out. That's right, Knives Out. So this is the latest film by Ryan Johnson. He wrote it. He directed it. You may remember that name from one of the last Star Wars movies. The uh, Which one did he do? Uh, the controversial one, The uh, Last Jedi. Yeah, I think they're all pretty controversial. But yeah, The Last Jedi... Before that, he had done a movie, Looper. Before that, he did a movie called Brick. Um, you know, really, I'm a fan of this guy, and I was very excited about this. And I was listening to another podcast talking about uh, Hollywood and writing and directing and you know spending your capital. I think it was with um, Edward Norton talking about uh, his new movie, what it was, Motherless Brooklyn. And this was good. Mother Brooklyn was kind of his dream project. And this is Ryan Johnson's dream project, which, you know, seems weird having done a Star Wars. And then the next thing he does is this, you know, Agatha Christie like murder mystery. But his very first film, his independent film uh, called Brick, was basically a film noir crime thriller that took place at a high school. So I think this whole idea, the whole murder mystery, the whole crime genre is, you know, that's his thing. That's what he loves. Um, and so, what did you think of this movie? I thought, I mean, it was amazing. I, I loved it. The once again, the cinematography was beautiful. There were some shots where it looks like the house. It's spoilers. Looks like the yeah, house. Lots of spoilers like, here, guys. This is a murder mystery too. So honestly, if you haven't seen it, do not listen to the rest of this until you've seen the movie. And and we both agree that you should go see it. Oh yeah, it's great. Um, it looks like the house is kind of like looming over them. And for some reason, like I know, like 
cameras are awesome, and you could kind of say this about anyway, but it felt like realistic. It felt like a, like actually there. Like this is what it would look like if I was standing there looking at the house. Yeah, the production design, the choice of location was pretty great. In fact, even in the script, one of the detectives says, you know, talking about how dramatic, you know, the uh, the head of the household is, the patriarch, that he, he basically he basically lives on a clue board. <laughs> talking about the the game clue and it's true and this so this movie is a throwback to the uh you know the old agatha christie movies you know miss marple uh the belgian detective whose name just escaped me he was played Poirot. by yeah poirot hercule poirot played by david suchet in he the series. he calls himself hercule poirot the detective oh i missed that really yeah oh i love that I think he says like Hercule Proing or something. <laughs> That's amazing. So it is this old school. It's a family drama. There's a patriarch who's you know basically based on James Patterson is what it feels like. Who's written a you know a thousand murder mysteries that have done well, and he has this family, and the family through him basically has kind of been living off his generosity. You know, one one son runs the publishing company. Um, somebody else, you know, just has the trust fund money to, you know, pay for their kid's school and pay for her kind of work. Uh, they've all kind of, um, they've all been living off him. And now that he's 85 years old, he has his 81st birthday party, 85th birthday party. And that's where he decides to do what? Kind of cut them all off of it. He fires the guy from the publishing company. He uh, calls out one of the guys for cheating. Um, oh, that was a cool that. moment. I forgot about that because he did that in. So one of the things they set up with this with this guy who ends up um, ends up dead is that he plays. He's really he really is into these murder mystery type life and these plots and these things, and that almost interacting with his children. One of them describes it as you know you have to play his game by his rules, and so. That was a really nice payoff moment that they set up towards the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie with the whole, you know, he knows that one of that his, one of his son-in-laws is cheating on his daughter. And he basically says, you know, you're going to tell her or I am. And he has this envelope in his hand. And then later, after he's dead, the person who was cheating, Don Johnson, who does a great job, great to see him, he gets the envelope, opens up the the letter and it's blank and he and the audience thinks oh wow he wasn't really going to tell his daughter he was just threatening to to make the son-in-law do the right thing but then at the end of the movie we see that it was just one of his cool little games that he played with his daughter and it was like invisible ink and when she heated it up then the writing appeared and then we see that you know she actually does find out that don johnson was cheating so that's like that's his character. That's who he is. He has this love of of the game, basically. Uh, so what did you think, Ike? Um, well, I thought the acting was amazing. I really loved the characters, the different personalities. I did too. And the act, the, the yeah, the they got great actors too. Oh yeah, was it Tony Collette, Don Johnson? Um, Chris Evans was fun to see Chris oh, Evans yeah, Mr. Chris Captain Evans America was... playing kind of a jerk was kind of nice oh yeah I liked his smirk Christopher Plummer plays the patriarch and of course he's just one of the best actors we've ever had he's amazing and his career is ridiculous who else was in there 
Um, oh, Daniel Craig. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Daniel Craig plays the detective. Oh, can we, <laughs> can we just get out there our complaints? Yeah, we can. Oh, so when he first starts talking, we were surprised because he talks with a southern accent, and it just seems so unbelievable. Yeah, but it, let's just give a quick note. It's really cool that the master detective was a southern master oh, yeah, detective. I awesome. dig that. But it's just, I was like, Re- oh, really? Okay, detective, you could stop doing your impression of a southern accent and talk <laughs> how you really talk now. I got really depressed there for a while because it was really, it seemed really bad. And again, there are a thousand southern accents, so like it could, it could very well could be accurate to a specific region of the South. But to me, it rang false, and I don't know if that's because the accent itself was clunky, or because hi, that's Daniel Craig, James Bond. I know how you speak in interviews, and I've seen you in a ton of movies, and I know this southern accent isn't yours. <laughs> So I don't know whether it was that or not, but it bothered the heck out of me. It really depressed me, and I rolled my eyes, and I felt horrible. And then about after 15 or 20 minutes, I just stopped doing that. I think I just forgot about it. Yeah. So that's a sign you know, that maybe it was just not used to hearing that coming out of his mouth versus that it's not a good southern accent. But I swear it's really bad at first. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's hard to, it was hard to get over, but eventually I found myself just not even noticing it. It was. Let's talk a little bit about the structure of this movie, because I thought that was interesting and fun and good. You know, every genre of movie or book or story has certain, you know, tropes, certain uh, scenes that we expect as an audience member. And they did a little bit of a twist on that, which I liked. We discover mostly what happened about halfway through the film, which is surprising. So less it, than halfway, I like. Okay, maybe a little bit less than halfway. Uh, and it, so it turned from a, a whodunit mystery. To will they get away with it. Exactly, which I thought was an interesting choice. And again, there's, it gets more complex at the end. You know, you all have seen it. So it kind of, but like that's, that felt really early in the film to me. And that kind of made me think, oh, what, what else do we have coming up? That's a pretty interesting call. Oh, yeah. In most murder mysteries, you have that big scene at the end in the big house, in the big room. And with the big speeches and revealing, like, you know, the end of the movie Clue, basically. You know, that's the trope. That's the yeah. Agatha Christie thing. So the fact that we discovered that, you know, a little earlier than halfway through, that I thought was a was a pretty great choice. But one I didn't really necessarily know was going to pay off at the time. That's me too. <laughs> um, I found myself in this movie kind of weirdly rooting for Chris Evans's character, Chris Evans and um, Mar- Marta. That's right, Marta who played the nurse yes. who ends up you know, we think she caused the murder and well, she think we think she caused the suicide and then she gets all the money. And so, yeah, you found yourself rooting for her. You wanted, did you want them to be together? No, or no, just get no, away no, with no, it? Just get, just get away with it. Because the family's been kind of mean to both of them so i thought all right well now you're in control you can leave them in the dust pay for that one girl's college payments give chris evans his fair share of the will and then kick him out yeah like that would have been a happy ending for you yeah so you trusted chris evans uh i kind of did i kind of did too and looking back on it now that seems silly but I guess because he was, you know, branded as the black sheep, you know, 
And also, I thought it was odd at the time, but I just kind of glossed over it. But now it seems a little bit odder now that she would tell him what happened. That Marta, that Marta trusted Chris Evans. Well, it was after like, she couldn't really lie. I mean, yeah. I guess she could do the same thing she did with uh, right. a detective, just tell. Well, let's talk about that, that key feature with Marta. So, yeah, as you know, like uh, she gets, she vomits if she lies, basically. Yes. Which is a really, you know, inventive character trait. I feel like that's not, you know, a, a, a recognizable disease or mental illness in the, the physician's desk reference. But I, but I could be wrong. That could be a thing. But whether it is or not, it was an interesting invention or uh, for the movie. It became oh, yeah. a nice, you know, plot device and character device. So yeah, so I, I kind of so that bothered me a little bit. I was like, oh, well, you're really, but I guess you're right. I guess that's enough of a reason that they had drank five beers or six beers, and she had eaten beans and toast, and so didn't want to throw up everywhere. No, oh. but I'm glad. Uh, I like the way they did it. I'm glad that Chris Evans was was not not the knight in shining armor that he appeared to be. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the ending, what tell me tell me what your thoughts on that were? Like, how do you how do you feel about the ending? I definitely preferred the first and second acts to the third act. I thought it got crazy and like, oh, now there's a blackmailer. What are we gonna do with that? And then, like, when Chris Evans went all villainy and grabbed the knife, I was like, oh, really? We're doing this? And of course, it was great because of the prop knife thing from earlier in the movie yeah they set that up nicely uh yeah i was i enjoyed how it ended i I agree with you and got a little got a little messy towards the you know the last third but it was it was it was fun um i'd like seeing the characters develop they paid off things like the knife they paid off you know some point during the middle of the movie we saw a little drop of blood on her shoe nobody commented on it and then you know, they pay that off at the end. Daniel Craig saying, I knew you were involved really right when I first met you because I noticed the blood on your shoe, but he didn't say anything. But that's probably why he wanted her around, you know. He knew she was involved somehow. Uh, so I thought that was cool. There's lots of little fun little stuff like that. And I think we're going to see it again. So I think we'll get even more, we'll recognize even more little payoffs, things they set up and then, then came to fulfillment. Can I say one thing? Yeah, yeah, I felt a little annoyed by it near the end of the movie. I got over it immediately because it, it's a good movie. But when she goes to the hospital to uh, get the woman who like kind of OD'd or was yeah on morphine, I'm right? Really, so one I'm of not the, really talking in proper English. The right person now. who is blackmailing. Uh, blackmailing her who then Chris Evans poisons and tries to kill or does kill actually uh, so she's at the hospital checking on her and what? then it's like the detective's like and now we know the whole story <laughs> I don't remember that moment uh, well the hospital and Chris Evans kind of said everything oh so she's about to yeah so she's so like about to escalating and escalating and escalating and then it's just and we know everything now uh, no, I didn't feel that at all. That's how it felt. I mean, I got literally. I well, got she was about to. She was seconds. about to confess. Who you was? Know, she, Marta was because yeah. and to Daniel Craig, he's like, "Well, yeah, Chris Evans just told us the whole deal." Okay. You know, but now you tell me everything in detail on the way over. So that's interesting. I didn't. I did not feel that moment. 
Um, that that did not bother me, but I can, well, I can I mean, see how it, it would. It bothered me for 30 seconds. Yeah. I got it. I got gotcha. you. Uh, so, yeah. What do you think? Any awards for this movie, you think? Maybe. Come Oscar season? I mean, Oscar won for Daniel Craig and his beautiful <laughs> I don't know that his I don't I didn't know if I saw any Oscar worthy performances and by Oscar worthy I don't mean like the performances weren't really great and deserve an Oscar I'm just thinking of the whole what an Oscar is and hype and you know marketing and all that kind of thing I'm not sure any of the roles were except for Marta I mean she was great oh yeah and she was in you know a lot of the movie but I imagine screenplay maybe maybe best picture uh, you know, one of the you know, because there's a ton of nominees for that, could, I, I could see that happening. And when it comes to this picture, I'll be certainly excited to see it for a third time. <laughs> that's that's right. Um, so we're going to try to watch all the best pictures uh, this year. I think we said that before, but this year oh, maybe we're really cinematography going to do it. too, because cinematography was great. Yeah, production design might be because you know the house, this incredible house, and again they paid off a lot of the. You see close-ups of like a, a comedy and tragedy mask in the beginning of the movie. So you know immediately that, you know, that not only is he a writer of books, but probably a lover of theater. And then the Paul prop knife versus a real knife thing paid off with that. Um, the house was just very random. I want a library. I just don't want it quite like that one. <laughs> and I want to study and I just don't want to not quite like that. It's not quite my decorating taste. Do you want the big knife chair? <laughs> that was pretty random. That big prop knife chair. Yeah. Like very Game of Thrones is also yeah. actually right. The uh, the throne made of swords. Um, so yeah, so I can see this being nominated around, and I hope people are talking about it. And I hope I hope that's the case because I like these actors and these people, and I want to read their interviews and see what they're doing and and hear them talk about their work. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to say about Knives Out? Well, we got to do our thing. We do now. Uh, we we do instead of like I think we did like out of five stars or something earlier, and then we started doing grade things, but now. We're just going to do thumbs up, middle thumb, thumbs down. All right. And, and I think it's most definitely a thumbs up for both of us. Thumbs up for, yeah. Thumbs up for both of us. Uh, go see the film. Obviously, you've seen the film if you're listening to this part. Go see it again. No. Uh, hey, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> take a loved one to see the movie. Anyway, but it's a fun movie. It's PG-13. It's a great one to have both, you know, the maturing kids the adults and the grandparents will all enjoy this. And I know that's just straight out of the marketing talk that they're talking about, but it's true. And it's hard to find movies that are like that now. So go and enjoy Hank. What are you reading these days? Wow. Not even saying this is the end of the second. Okay. I'm reading uh, game of Thrones. I'm about, I'm about to think I'm halfway through it. Yeah. Are you enjoying it so far? I am enjoying it. Sometimes like the different names kind of mess me up. I don't have the best memory out of anybody. So that sometimes I'm like, who's the hound? Wait, what's Littlefinger's name again? I think that's just all, like, that has nothing to do with your memory and just how many characters in the book. Because I think most people who read it feel the exact same way. Yeah. What are you reading? I'm reading for the second time Patrick Rothfuss's The Name of the Wind. It's the first book in the King Killer Chronicles. If it all sounds very cheesy and sci fi and fantasy, it is, except for it's not cheesy. It is fantasy. It is incredibly well written. It's beautifully written. It's one of my favorite books of all time. I really cannot highly recommend it enough. Uh, I'm making the book club I'm in read it, and so far I've had three three emails and one text have said how good it is. 
and how much they're enjoying it. And these are not people who generally read fantasy. So it has crossover appeal. Have you read the other books in the King Killer Chronicles? So I have read the second book, which is uh, The Wise Man's Fears or Wise Man's Fear. And the third book that in the trilogy, I don't know if it's a trilogy or not, but the third book that would carry that main story forward has not been written yet. Uh. But instead, what he did was write a novella taking one of the side characters and really exploring her world. And I have not read that yet. I've been saving that. You know, when you have like something you're looking forward to, but then, you know, once you read it, then, then you're kind of done with everything. I've been saving that for when I'm either really happy or I think really sad. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure which one I'll need it for more. But I might read that over Christmas. Okay. Um, we'll see. So I highly recommend. You know, I've read the Game of Thrones books and I love them and I'm excited Hank's reading them. I'm also excited for whenever you choose to read The Name of the Wind because I think you'll love it also. All right. So I think that does it for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. It feels good to be back doing this for, for the second time in about 10 hours for, for us now. Oh. <laughs> but this one looks like it is recording, so we will post this. This <laughs> didn't record. We just we just start again next week. It's yeah, next we would just weeks. wait two weeks and go for that. <laughs> but I think it is. So thank you for listening. We're glad we're back. Hopefully you were glad we're back. Uh, if you have any thoughts or comments about anything we talked about or ideas for future episodes, uh, please email us at info at pineconeturkey.com until we meet again. Well, you know, I guess, uh, one last thing. I was thinking about how Star Wars like excited will be because there's eight episodes in The Mandalorian, so it feels like The Mandalorian will be ending around the oh, time <laughs> that Skywalker comes out. Yeah, that's, there's going to be major Star Wars hype all fall and into winter, and this is pretty exciting yeah. through the holidays. I love it. Go team. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Owls on Culture podcast. Our theme music was recorded and assembled by Marine Cerzier and Antoine Durand. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can read the latest blog posts from the Owls on Culture hosts and sign up for the flock email. Twice a month newsletter delivers a short film, poetry, short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.